Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. Now on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is coming up this week. And on Thanksgiving, we usually ask the same question over and over and over again. Or we're asked the same question over and over and over again. And what question might that be on Thanksgiving? What are you thankful for? Exactly. You've heard it. I've heard it. You've said it. I've said it. It's always the same every single year. And we give, sometimes we give relatively the same answers, and sometimes our answer is different depending on who we're with or how much time we have to answer the question. Sometimes we're, we'll say family, friends, our many blessings, even though we don't actually say what those blessings are. Um, but relatively, every year we can expect to hear the same answer or the same uh, question over and over and over again. But you have, have you ever asked the question, what was Jesus thankful for? We always ask it to each other. We think about it ourselves. What am I thankful for? But what was Jesus thankful for? You know, I've never actually asked that question myself until I was thinking about what I should preach about for um, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Did it come to my mind? Huh? I wonder what the scripture has to say about Jesus and what he thanked the Father for. So I started looking into it, and you know what I discovered? There's not really a whole lot of times in the scripture where it says that Jesus thanked the Father for something. There are a few times. A couple of the instances is repeated in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, but there are only four particular instances where we see that Jesus himself was giving thanks for something. So today we're going to be looking at these. Hopefully we'll get to all four. I can go, if I go too much on the first couple, we may not get to the last couple, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I'm going to pray. We're going to seek the Lord's wisdom as we seek Him today. Lord, I want to thank You for Your Word and for the wisdom that's here and for the fact that this Word, though it was completed couple thousand years ago is still so vibrant and active today so practical so full of um, wisdom for today and in it we see the words of life in it we see just the spider web of of wisdom all woven through all pointing to one center Jesus Christ Lord I pray that we would not miss a piece of it, but that we would devote ourselves to it. And today, as we have devoted the next 45 minutes or so to seeing what your word has to say, that you would help us to learn from Jesus' thankfulness. And that we would go and likewise and, and thank you for the same things. And that we would not lack in our thankfulness, but to be full of thanks our whole lives long. For there is not a day that goes by that your mercies are not new that morning. And if those mercies are new every single morning, then we can wake up with thanks every single morning. And then as those mercies that we receive that morning unfold throughout the day, we can continually thank you and praise you for those unfolding mercies. I just pray that we would have eyes to see them. And that we would not be so stuck on the things that we don't like. The things that we want to be critical about. The suffering that we 
refuse to see past. Lord, just help us, humble us, so that we can have thanks and not be covetous. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, look at <coughs> Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. I'm going to read these real quick. This, this statement by Jesus is occurring after Jesus has sent his disciples out two by two to preach the kingdom of God to the surrounding towns and villages. He's, and that you can read more about in verses 1 through 20-ish. Um, and as these disciples went out proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that Jesus has come and that God's kingdom is near to them, uh, they saw several wonderful workings of the power of God by their own hands. I mean, just think about some of these things. In verse 4, we see that these disciples never went without any need, even though Jesus told them, don't take money, don't take extra clothing, just rely on God. You'll have everything you need. And they saw that happen. They saw their needs taken care of. They healed the sick with their own two hands. They cast out demons with their own two hands. They were protected by scorpions and snakes. Anything that kept them from doing the will of God. I mean, just put yourself in that situation. Like these disciples were common people. And they were doing things that they only heard being done by the prophets of old. And really, you don't even really see the prophets of old casting out demons. You see them doing some healing. You see them being protected from different, um, from different things. But they're doing things that the common, ordinary people should not be able to do. And at the end of this discourse in verse, in verse 20, Jesus says that their names are written in the book of heaven's citizenship. Let me read these. The 70 in verse 17, and the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, I was there. I was the one who cast him out of heaven. Satan has no authority over you. And then he says, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Okay, isn't that what you want to rejoice in? That you have power over the devil, the principalities and powers of the air, anything that might hinder you from performing God's will. You have authority over those things from Jesus. Isn't that what we want to rejoice in? But Jesus says, don't rejoice in these, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That God delights in you and he has given you citizenship in his kingdom. And in that hour, in verse 21, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father. Say, we see now the thankfulness of Jesus. Here's what Jesus is thankful for here. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, these things that we were just looking at, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. 
In verse 22, he says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Jesus is thankful for this. Now this is rather abstract. (laughs) So let's dive into it a little bit for a couple minutes. Jesus is going on, Jesus is saying that he is thankful that only the humble are are able to partake in the wonder that his disciples just partook in. They were able to partake in magnificent works by the will of God. Just like he proclaimed earlier in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is reserved for the poor in spirit, the humble. And Jesus is thankful that the Father has established a heavenly economy so as to confound those who think that they deserve an audience with God or a place of habitation in his kingdom, or that they have been so faithful in their religious activity that there is no way that God would not bless them with eternal life. Jesus is thankful that those are not the people that the Lord blesses with such eternal life. The people who have merited it. The people who are awesome. The people who are so skilled. Who are so valuable. Those are not the people that earn eternal life. But rather, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, this kingdom of God. That's really a nutshell of what he's talking about by these things. These things, your kingdom and the work of your kingdom. You have hidden these things. From who? From the wise, the people who think they're so smart, so knowledgeable, they have so much understanding, and the prudent. Or you could, you could replace that word. I've seen some, some versions say clever, the clever, the people who are they're just, they're just smart. They're just know-it-alls. They got this. They can, they can figure this out. They're clever. But those are the people who the truth is hidden from. Even so, Father, it seemed good in your sight that this would be so. It was good to the Father that such wonder of the kingdom of God should be hidden from those who think they have sight, who think that they see, they think they got it, they got it under control. Those who think they see are the ones who don't see. And Jesus is thankful for that. Jesus thanks the Father that only the humble are given such blessings. He's thankful that the wisdom from above is hidden from those who think themselves wise enough to attain it. In an alternate rendering of this exact passage in Matthew 11, 28, right after he says this, he adds, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a description of the person who gets to see the kingdom for whom Christ is thankful, the person who is willing to come to Jesus because they can't do it, because their burden is too heavy. They don't get it. They can't understand it they can't attain unto this so they put their burden down 
and they come to Jesus. That's the humble person to whom the kingdom of God is revealed. The one who, as Jesus says, puts his hand to the plow and doesn't look back. The person who leaves behind his life and goes and claims the life of Christ. Because his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Because he's the one who does it. And Jesus is thanking God, that God, that the Father, that his economy is not, does not work the way our economy works. Where you put in, you receive out. God's economy is the Father puts it in you and you receive it. Only the humble will put down their own works, their efforts, their achievements, their past, and to go and take on a brand new life of Jesus Christ. And for this, Jesus is thankful that the kingdom of heaven is going to be full of people who in a way are just like him, gentle and lowly in heart. For he being the Son of God, having no obligation to any man, associates himself and directs his will towards the weak and the humble. And for this, Jesus is thankful. But we must move on to John chapter 11. We must see what else Jesus is thankful for in scriptures. John 11, verse 40 through 42 John 11, verse 40. And this is right there, smack dab in the middle of this story about this friend of Jesus named Lazarus has died. He's been buried and he stinketh, (laughs) as the scriptures say. And Jesus comes and Martha is wondering, where, where were you? You could have prevented this, Jesus. And Jesus picks up the discourse here in verse 40 and said, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And here we see that Jesus is thankful to have his father's listening ear. And he goes on to admit that he stated his thankfulness aloud for God's father's listening ear, not for his sake or for the father's sake, but for the sake of those who are listening. Jesus had a perfect understanding of his father's attentiveness to him. He always knew that he and his father were always in one accord. That's how they've always existed throughout all eternity. And that did not change just because he came to earth as a child and became a man. He knows full full well that the father is with Jesus in everything that he does because their wills are the same. But the people did not have such faith. They needed to see, to hear Jesus aligning himself with the Father and the Father aligning himself with Jesus so that they would know that he is not performing these works, the work that he's about to do in raising Lazarus from the dead, that he did not do this from his own will or by his own power, by his own will, 
But he is in full agreement with the Father. And the Father is in full agreement with him. And the Father himself is doing this through Jesus. Nevertheless, we see that Jesus makes a point to thank the Father for hearing him, for listening to his prayer. And reading this in accordance with Jesus' understanding that God always hears him leads us to an understanding that Jesus walks in a never-ending knowledge of God's abiding presence. And the Father always grants Jesus his requests, for Jesus always walks according to the will of the Father. And I know where some of us wish this sermon would go at this point, that God would always give us whatever we ask for. Just, I just need to have some more faith. If I had some more faith, the Lord would do whatever I ask of Him. But that's a topic for another sermon. But I think that this passage lends itself towards a different direction. In this passage, Jesus is thankful that the Father hears Him. Jesus. Not us. He's thankful that the Father hears Him. And this is also good for us. Because just as Jesus then went to raise Lazarus from the dead by the power of the Father who heard him and who always does what the Son asks, in like manner, prays for us in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is the longest recorded prayer by Jesus. And I'm going to give you some snippets from this prayer. But just listen to how Jesus prays for us, remembering that the Father always hears the Son and always does what the Son asks. He says, Jesus, this is Jesus praying, I have given to them, you know, my disciples, the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Okay, so you're establishing who it is he's praying for. Those who are fully convinced that Jesus is the Savior and they have received him and they are his disciples and they follow him. And he says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but I pray for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus is praying to the Father that the Father would keep us, his disciples, from Satan, from the dominion of the devil, from his power, from being defeated by the devil. Jesus is praying this for us, to the Father, who always hears him, who always answers his prayer. Do you understand that? If Jesus had not prayed this, perhaps there would be reason to doubt the sufficiency of our ability to, to withstand the power of Satan. Because really, you can doubt your ability to stand up to Satan. Because Satan is far mightier than you. The greatest of God's created angels. Who are you compared to that? But Jesus prays to the Father that the Father would keep us from the evil one. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I'll get to this in a second. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe me, believe in me through their word. So his disciples then and there, he's praying this also for us who would receive because of 
the spread of the gospel throughout the world, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. In this prayer, we know the Father will honor these things. We've already talked about that God will not submit us to the schemes of the devil to be utterly destroyed. He will not let it happen to those who are his. That is why I believe that once you become a follower of Jesus, God will not let you go. You will not be defeated and utterly wasted. Because God always, the Father always hears and always answers the prayers of Jesus. And this is what Jesus prayed for. We also see that we are God's sanctified people by Jesus' prayer. We are his precious ones. We are the ones in whom he delights. That's what sanctified means. We are the ones who are set apart as his special people. We are made special, peculiar, the Bible says. We are made holy. We are not treated by just another Joe, like a, another Joe Schmo to God. Sometimes don't you feel like that? Why would God listen to me? I'm a nobody. Why would God have any interest in my little life? I'm just out here... Doing my own thing, nothing special. I've never done anything significant in my life. In fact, I fail more than I succeed, it seems. That's the way I feel. Why would God pay attention to me? But here, Jesus prayed that he would sanctify us. To set us apart, to make us special to him. Just like he chose Israel and made Israel his people through whom he <coughs> worked only through them, loved them, chose them, blessed them, gave them the law, gave them the blessings of obedience. He didn't give that stuff to anybody else. And here, Jesus is saying, sanctify them, everybody who believes in me. Everybody who believes in me, who follows me. Sanctify them. Set them apart. Make them special. So because of Christ's prayer, we are special. And we also see that we're brought into the unity and joined with the triune Godhead. He says <clears throat> that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us. Jesus is inviting us into the triune Godhead, that fellowship that is experienced within that Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. He is bringing us into that relationship in this prayer. I mean, look at that. I mean, this is not me. This is not blasphemy. That they may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. I mean, that's how the world knows that we're God's people because we are one with him. 
We are unified in His will, in His mission, in His love, in His mercy, in His compassion. That's how the world is supposed to know it. If it's not true, then the world cannot know that we're of Him. And Jesus prays, bring them in, Father. Bring them into this huddle. We're on the same team. Jesus is not so high and mighty and holier than thou, even though he is high and mighty and holier than thou. But he is not so so vulgarly as to think, I can't associate with that scum. <laughs> These humans, powerless, weak, feeble, weak-minded compared to me. Is that not how people operate? But God, Jesus, does not operate like this. No, he's saying, bring them in. Make them one with us. Let them experience something that they don't deserve to experience. That they have no qualifications to be part of this group. Bring them in, God. And then he goes on to say, we will also, by Jesus' prayer, we will also one day be where Jesus is and we will see him in the fullness of his glory and his beauty. That promise is for those who follow him. That promise is for his disciples. That promise is for God's sanctified, chosen people who are brought into that trinity, that fellowship of God. He says, I desire that also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which which you have given me. That's a promise. Did you know that you will never not be conscious? When you die, we think about that as the end. Blackness, emptiness, the ground, the cold, six foot under damp ground. But the moment you die, you are not dead. You are not passed out. You are, your consciousness just goes somewhere else. Your spirit is transported into the presence of Jesus. And you behold his glory. Being rid of your physical limitations to see him in his fullness. Did you know that? Do you realize that? That the day your heart stops and your brain activity stops and your soul parts with your body. You're not in blackness. You're not gone You're not dead. You will still be awake, just somewhere else. It is not something to be feared. No, but Jesus is praying for this. He wants this to happen so that we can be together. And and we can be thankful for this. Jesus is thankful that the Father hears the Son and always does what the Son asks because their wills are aligned. If Jesus is praying for it, then we know it's the Father's will because they're one. They always have been. They've never been separated in their wills. And we can be thankful for this too. John chapter 6. We have to keep moving. John chapter 6. Verse 1. 
You'll recognize this story. And these th- after these things, Jesus went over, this, over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because he saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But, these, but this he said to test them, to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered and said, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and then he had given thanks. He distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those who were sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. So we hear, we see that Jesus is thankful for the Father's provision, but what kind of, when did he give thanks for this miraculous provision? Before it was actually provided. When Jesus was giving thanks for the food that was to be provided for this multitude, what stood before him in a basket was a pitiful excuse for a meal. It was a meal provided for one little boy, perhaps by his mother. Mommy, I want to go see Jesus. He's teaching Okay, son, here's some, here's some bread and fish. So he goes. And now this bread and fish is placed before Jesus, saying, this is all the food that we could find around here. And Jesus sits down, and he gets the people prepared. And he gives thanks for the provision of God before God actually provides the provision. Typically, when you and I give thanks to God, it is for things that we've already received from Him. But it does not make sense to us that thanks could exist in a predictive sense. That is, in an understanding that God will provide. You're predicting that the provision will come. So you're going to give thanks for what's about to come, even though you have no idea where it's coming from. But this is precisely what is meant by the name of God, Jehovah Jireh. <clears throat> You're right, you've probably heard that name before. Lexi's middle name is Jireh, for, which is named after this name of God, Jehovah Jireh. And the word is translated and practically used, the Lord shall provide. You see that the Lord shall provide. Shall, future tense. And literally, Jehovah Jireh is translated, the Lord will see, or the Lord sees the future. It was first used on the mount where Abraham was told to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham knew that God's will could not be thwarted even by death. And thus Abraham knew that the Lord would provide a way through this. Because Isaac, the son that he was supposed to sacrifice, was the son of promise. The son through whom... The whole lineage was to come. And now God is saying, kill him. 
But Abraham knew, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide a sacrifice. He will provide a way through this. He will fulfill his will here. He knew God was faithful. He even named the mount that they did this on, Jehovah Jireh. Jesus exemplifies this faith for us in regards to God's will. To provide our physical needs, to provide the physical needs of the horde of these people there who arrive to listen to Jesus preach. He thanks his father for seeing the need of the people there and for the provision that he was about to bring to them. And when we thank God, we should be thanking a God who is named Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. How many times have each of us been in a situation where I don't know where this provision is going to come from? I don't know what's going to happen. Have you ever felt like thanking God for that? Thanking God that he's going to come through? Isn't that really a true test of our faith? That, we're thank- that we are there to thank God for what he will do, even though you don't know what it is. Jesus is thanking God for providing food for thousands of people. I mean, it says 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. From some loaves and fishes that fit in a small little knapsack for one boy. And haven't you ever been in a situation before where that's, where your li- that's what your life looked like? All you had was in a small little knapsack. Your future looked tiny and unhopeful. <clears throat> but yet, can we say thank you, God, for how you're going to provide? Do we have the faith enough to actually say thank you as though we've already received it? Because we know that God's faithful. Do we have that kind of faith? Jesus did, and he showed us that. He knew it. Can we thank God for something that we don't even see yet? Look at Luke chapter 22. This will be the last one. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 22. says, When the hour had come, he sat down with the twelve apostles with him, Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, this is, or take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus gives thanks here for the elements of the Last Supper, knowing that each element portrayed his suffering and his death. This is my body that is broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you. That's what he says elsewhere in many different places. And here we see it. 
And he's thanking God as he's doing this. He's thanking God for this bread that represents his broken body. He's thanking God for this wine, which is his shed blood. He knew the prophecies in Isaiah chapter 53 concerning himself. He knew that the bread and wine recalled them. Let me read this. This is a prophecy of Jesus. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. In other words, we didn't think anything of him. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with, his, with the rich at his death, because he, made, he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Does that sound like something you would be thankful for it was, if it was written about you? All these lashes, bruising, brokenness, the shedding of blood, everything here, the rejection. Does that sound like something that we want to thank God for? Thank you, God, that everybody hates me and everybody's going to kill me. Jesus is thanking God for this. How could that be? Well, if we keep reading in Isaiah 53, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore, transgressors, and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. All this pain, all this suffering, there was something behind it all. All of this was for the pleasure of God. Jesus himself was pleased to do this. We also saw that the pain was also very real. In fact, he prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. This cup being the cup of suffering. Take it away. It's so, I can't bear this, Jesus himself said. But yet at the same time, he knew what the suffering would bring forth. And so he was willing and pleased to do it. We see Jesus thanking the Father for such suffering. For all that was about to transpire. Can we be thankful for our own suffering? Can we be thankful that do we really believe that God is sovereign? In this church, we believe we have a high view of the sovereignty of God. 
But when something actually happens to you that you don't like, is God still sovereign? Or do we think that this is just some meaningless occurrence in my life? There's no point. I'm just suffering needlessly. Needless loss. This doesn't happen to anybody else. Why is it happening to me? Can we see past it? You know, Jesus, I mean, he's God, right? He had some advantages. He knew what was coming out of this. He knew the people. He could see every single one of us sitting here who knows him, who is saved by his blood. He knew that his blood was going to save us and cleanse us from our sin. It doesn't mean it was easy for him to go through the suffering. He cried aloud, take this from me if it's possible. This pain is unbearable. We've cried that. I've cried that. You've cried that. It's not necessarily a bad prayer to pray. Jesus prayed it. And yet he still paid the price for all of our sins. Let's observe Christ and see he was thankful of what he the cup that he had received. And you and I, we go through much suffering in our life. We don't always know why, but we can know that if God is sovereign, he is sovereign all the time, otherwise he's not sovereign. He's sovereign in the midst of our suffering. And if he's sovereign in the midst of our suffering, then we know that there's a reason why we're suffering. There's a point. Sometimes the answer is locked in the heavenly vault and we can't see it, we can't touch it, we can't know it. But there is a reason. And we can thank God for whatever fruit is going to be born from this. I may not see the fruit until I'm in heaven. I may not know why I suffered in such a way. Why this person was taken from us. Why I lost this. Why it didn't work out. I don't always know these answers. But we, like Jesus, can thank the Father for the suffering because we know that it's supposed to produce something. Something. Don't know what always. And sometimes we bear the fruit in our life. It transforms us. It gives us an occasion to have faith, to stand strong, to gain boldness in our faith with God. Much of the time I truly believe that that's why we suffer. Because how can, how can our faith be strong if it's never been tried and tested? You know, you can look on Google and learn kind of how to swing a sword and some, combating, some combat skills. But if you never actually go, at, go out and go into combat, you're never actually going to be good with a sword. You can watch all the videos you want. I mean, I learned how I did photography for a number of years. I learned all my photography on YouTube. <laughs> but I wasn't good at it until I had practiced for years. Even though I knew all the details, I knew the concepts. But I wasn't good at it until I actually did it. Do you know how how stressful it is to to do a wedding <laughs> as a photographer? That's hard work. It's stressful work. The whole next day, you're completely wiped out. They, in the professional photography world, it's called the, 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 the professional photography hangover. The whole next day, you're just out. 
because it's so much strain on your body. It's hard work. But I'm never going to get good at it until I do it. And when we suffer, we're actually having to practice our faith. We're actually having to take what we know and actually do it. Trust. And here, Jesus is giving an example of practicing faith by thanking God for it. If you can get on your knees and say, thank you, God, that this has happened. And then you go on and you grieve. Sure. But we thank God. We're putting our faith in him, knowing that there is some reason behind this. And that God, we're acknowledging that he is sovereign. That he's the king. Nothing happens that doesn't come, come by his office. When we suffer, every single time we suffer, it's an occasion to actually practice our faith. Not just say we have it. Not just say we know about faith. We've read about faith. Yeah, I have faith in Jesus. Yeah, but do you have faith in Jesus when it actually matters? When it actually hurts? When everything's against you? I mean, that's one answer. I mean, that's one way we can thank God for this testing of our faith that will produce endurance without which no man can see God. Sometimes that trial is exactly what you need <clears throat> to get saved so that you can choose Him in the midst of a strong alternative. In all of these things together, we see that Jesus was thankful for God's sovereign will, God's answered prayer, God's provision and mindfulness, and suffering. He was thankful for all of these things. These all include that things that we can't understand and things that we can't understand. Things that we enjoy and things that we very much do not enjoy. The delight of abundance and the unbearable suffering. The exaltation of the humble and the degradation of the mighty. And even though the thankfulness of Jesus did not, does not produce a whole lot of individual passages in Scripture, we still see Jesus' thankfulness encompassing pretty much every category of thankfulness that we can talk about in Thanksgiving. Jesus paves the way by his example for us to know what it is that we can and should be thankful for. God's will, answered prayer, God's faithfulness for the future and the provision in the present, his mindfulness of our every need, our suffering. Jesus shows us all of this in just a few short passages about his thankfulness. And I want to end by reading you the lyrics to a beautiful song that kind of encapsulates this. It's called, As Long As You Are Glorified. And it goes, Shall I take from your hand your blessings, yet not welcome any pain? Shall I thank you for the days of sunshine, yet grumble in the days of rain? Shall I love you in times of plenty, but then leave you in days of drought? Shall I trust when I reap a harvest, but when winter wind blows, then doubt? <clears throat> are you good only when I prosper, and true only when I'm filled? Are you king only when I'm carefree? And God only when I'm well? You are good when I'm poor and needy. You are true when I'm parched and dry. You still reign in the deepest valley. You are still God in the darkest night. Oh, let your will be done in me. In your love I will abide. Oh, I long for nothing else as long as you are glorified. So quiet, 
my restless heart. On Thanksgiving, maybe you should offer God some unconventional Thanksgiving prayers. Thank God for your family, sure, for the many blessings, but thank Him for things that aren't blessings, so to speak. Thank Him for some suffering. Thank Him for things you don't even have yet. Thank Him for provision that you don't have yet. Thank Him that He is working all things for your good and His glory. Even though right now it doesn't feel like it. Even though right now you would have just, you have a better plan, God, if you just drop some money in my bank account. (laughs) Things will be better and I will thank you for that. But can you thank God for an empty bank account? And for the opportunity to, to pray for daily bread, not yearly bread, as Jesus told us to pray. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus told us to pray for daily bread. Your daily allotment for bread. Not your months, not your years. Can you thank God for today's bread? Or are you worrying about the fact that you don't know where tomorrow's is? Does that worry quench your thankfulness for today? So this Thanksgiving, let's, like I said, offer God some unconventional thanks. Jesus did. He showed us how. Let's thank Him for everything, because, I mean, really it all comes down to this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Everything is within His will and His plan. The good the bad, the beautiful, the ugly. Nothing is outside of his divinity, his sovereignty. Because if it were, then he's not really sovereign. So let us thank God together as one body. We've been brought into the triune Godhead, through the fellowship of God. If nothing else, let's thank God for that. If everything else is taken from us, let's thank God for the fact that we are still his his sanctified people that we've been brought in. I thank you, God, for Jesus' example of thankfulness and how it, it leads us to push through the clouds of darkness to thank you in ways that we do not typically thank you, which would imply good where perhaps our eyes only see evil. I just pray we would have the wisdom of Christ to see good where the world would only see bad. Give us the eyes of the Spirit so we may truly thank you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.